Jay Marzano. Benjamin Sullivan. What a time to be alive. I have missed recording. It's been a couple of weeks since recorded. We've had a few in the back catalogue that we've been releasing. Yeah, absolutely. Very excited to catch up on two plot topics this week, Ben. Once we release this episode, the, the former week, two really big things sort of hit the headlines for us, absolutely. which we've been chatting about. One being the executive order on AI safety and security. So sending big, big reverberations through the entire global landscape as it relates to technology, because that's all the rave at the moment, of course. And then the second one being the SEC filing on the Solowin CISO for the fraudulent disclosures after the sunburst cyber attack in 2020. Also very, very keen to unravel that and the repercussions, implications, second, third order effects with you, Ben. So two big things, your initial thoughts on both? Oh, two absolutely massive things. Um, it's, yeah, it's been a huge week in the news in, uh, in the technology space. Uh, where do you want to start? Let's start at the executive order on AI safety and security. I think that is such a big release, uh, for a, a, a presidential executive order. Um, before we get on Gabe, uh, so for people like myself and maybe some in the audience that, uh, that are less inclined to follow American politics, what's, what's your thoughts <laughs> on what an executive order is in itself? Yeah, it's a good question and good to frame it up with that, Ben, too. And not to be um, sort of the oracle in this space, but from what I understand of an executive order from the president, Biden, at this point, and the Biden-Harris administration in the US at the moment is certainly that sort of uh, the most executive directive that can be granted within the sphere of not only politics, but wider society, and therefore how the government does indeed govern some of these emerging spaces like AI. From what I've been closely following in the last six months, actually coming up nearly a year now, because interestingly, ChatGPT was released at the end of November 2022. Can you believe we're recording November 2023? So that is literally a year to date. Time flies when you're having fun. It's been a massive month this week. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we did also talk on previous episodes about how um, Sam Altman, the CEO of yeah. OpenAI, went to Congress and um, there was also lots of governance around AI safety. What I think has happened then over those proceedings has now really resulted in the tip of the sphere being this executive order. Now, if I could refresh everyone's memory too, there was a very prominent executive order that we all are very familiar with in cybersecurity being the executive order on zero trust. And so therefore, if you go back and read that, and you can just go to the White House publications and search executive orders and read through them. We'll throw the resource as a link into the description of this podcast episode. But that, of course, then shows um, exactly the main objectives to be how you govern those developments. The point I was wanting to make is over the last year, I think everyone learned a really hard lesson about the repercussions of social media and particularly governments were very slow to adopt a a framework for regulation and governance. So it seems like we are learning hard lessons from the past and administrations are aiming to get ahead of rapid technological advancements. And so therefore I see this executive ought to be quite timely, but I'd be also keen to unpack with you sort of the protagonist view as to say why we support it and potentially the antagonist view, which is maybe where it could stifle things like innovation. But fundamentally, what it means for everyone is how do we promote the safety, security, and trustworthy development and use of AI technologies? So let's see what the future holds, but certainly my interpretation. What are your yeah. thoughts, Ben? 
I, I completely agree. I think it's a, it's an important step. And whilst I think it's a big step, it's certainly only the first step. Um, but this is the start to what a number of our guests over the last few episodes have been talking to is the fact that we need some form of governance around the, the safe development and the safe application and therefore then the safe consumer use of uh, AI more broadly. Um, Gabe, if you wouldn't mind allowing me uh, a soapbox uh, just to, uh, to give the uh, couple of the key things that at the start of the executive order here that might frame it even further. Um, this is uh, the, the direct reading direct from the White House publications directly from the executive order itself. And um, my being President Biden's administration places the highest urgency on governing the development and use of AI safely and responsibly and is therefore advancing a coordinated federal government wide approach to doing so. I find that really interesting that the, the language that's used there, especially the highest urgency. Uh, but I continue with the rapid speed at which AI capabilities are advancing compels the United States to lead in this moment for the sake of our security, economy, and society. In the end, AI reflects the principles of the people who build it, the people who use it, and the data upon which it is built. I, President Biden, firmly believe that the power of our ideals, the foundations of our society, and the creativity, diversity, and decency of our people are the reasons that America thrived in past eras of rapid change. They are the reasons we will succeed again in this moment. We are more than capable of harnessing AI for justice, security, and opportunity for all. That's some powerful words there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think some extensive groundwork has been done to this point. But of course, what I'm very interested in is how that translates into action and yeah. behavior around the executive order. Probably also the biggest criticism when executive orders come out. But um, very keen to see how that plays out, and especially because it is such a crucial step towards, you know, quite a structured way to secure the development of AI and also making sure that the competitive landscape, but also the innovation that comes with that progresses at the same time as also being safe and trustworthy for the general public and population. Agreed. Yeah, you mentioned a good point there in that um, some of the criticisms over previous uh, executive orders I'm keen on your thoughts. What significant action does this executive order state in there or significant actions, plural, uh, mandate regarding the AI systems? Yeah, I think the biggest one is the requirement for extensive testing um, on the AI systems and mm -hmm. models and all that sort of thing. And particularly by an ecosystem of third parties trusted by the government, but trusted by the extended ecosystem around who's creating the AI systems and so on to get that transparency and trustworthiness in how the technology is developed and particularly to minimize chances of our sort of favorite buzzword bingo and on dark mode, unintended consequences. <laughs> yeah. So that's a, that's a real positive in my, in my opinion. Yeah, agreed. There's, there's also a number in the document as, uh, as you scroll down about increasing AI talent in government. Um, but we, we have seen in previous, uh, rapid changes as this executive order calls, it, uh, the government tends to, to start that momentum building for, uh, a, a pathway to, uh, talent and the, the objectives behind what, uh, certifications you need to achieve those positions. There's, uh, I think at first count, there was something like 20 dot points, uh, under 10.2 or sub documents that suggests, uh, 45 days after this order and 60 days after this order, 120 days after this order, 180 days of actions to occur in order to increase the AI talent in government. I find that really fascinating. Um, there, there's one here to, uh, to suggest that the, the coordination 
uh, in consultation with the director of OPM, uh, director of the NSA and vice president Camilla Harris, who will have overall governance on uh, some of these actions to, to occur with a specific time frame, which I find unique in this executive order itself. Mm, yeah, it's super interesting. And I think if we, like what I think about now is like, I'd love to hear the view of some of the leading AI developers, mm. not only to the talent um, sphere, but also how these companies are now going to be adhering to this sort of directive. And I think what, what, you know, hearing firsthand from my immediate network around some of the big providers in this space, how does this actually affect, you know, the competitive landscape now? And so we know that really big leading AI providers are in the Googles of the world, DeepMind and the like. If you look maybe at the OpenAI slant or Microsoft ecosystem too, and then other providers like our friends at MoveWorks who we've had on the Darkwave podcast. It'd be really interesting to see how this plays out and how much those companies and other companies in the AI space can sort of prove out the requirements as, as per the executive order on the extensive third-party testing. Because, you know, some might be really leading, others might be trying to do the small map, big hands thing, big hands thing. And, you know, shiny objects look over here. So I think how it's going to play out now, the dynamic to actually be progressive in the technological space and the development therefore is going to play out in a very interesting way. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point too. I haven't seen too much reaction. It's fairly new. So, uh, I guess there's some calculated responses or reactions that will uh, come out over the coming days, weeks, but I haven't seen too much reaction to some of those hyperscalers that have committed a significant capital spend into AI development. Uh, as a result of this executive, executive order, it'd be uh, interesting to see some of their returns. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's only recent, right? The executive order was issued on the 30th of October. We're recording yeah. this on the 3rd of November. The episode's going to be released on the 6th of November. So between us re releasing this episode and the ex executive order only being released within a few days, I think the real telltale for us, Ben, is keeping a close eye on the next three months in particular as to mm. how this impacts those companies. And then also the next year as it plays out is going to be a very, very interesting world to observe. But um, also like I have noticed just the emergence of AI safety committees, you know, in the tech sphere, there's a lot of customers and clients looking to deploy AI that are asking for, hey, can you show me sort of your checklist or your governance models or how do you prove that your AI models are ethical, responsible, trustworthy, et cetera. And I think um, seeing now a lot of leadership in that space, plus the executive order, plus the dynamic in sort of that uh, race to develop AI, which is the new arms race, that certainly is sort of the um, convergence I'm really looking forward to to learning a lot more about and, and seeing the behaviors and the responses from some of these companies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned something else that triggered. I just had to go back into my highlighted document here. Um, something I found really interesting with that is... Uh, is that uh, the, the words, uh, quote unquote, is finally my administration will help develop effective labeling and content provenance uh, mechanisms so that Americans are able to determine when content is generated using AI and when it is not. These actions will provide a vital foundation for an approach that addresses the risks without unduly reducing its benefits. Um, so in line with your commentary there, I think that's a, that's a big piece. And that is certainly one that I'll be watching very closely to see what the actions are as a result of that and how quickly they start to determine what that looks like from a framework. Yeah. And lo and behold, that solution we have spoken about before, which is, can you mark images or media or anything that's created through AI 
with potentially a watermark. That's an amazing solution as to combating things like disinformation. But in mm. such a murky information environment, particularly online, and with AI-generated images or deepfakes, the emergence of that, even seeing that recently with the Hamas atrocities recently, news outlets yeah. were using just AI-generated thumbnails for their images on top of news articles. And it's just like the perception of the general public to view the image that shows quite shockingly, you know, a big sort of atomic bomb level smoke horizon over the top of the city. Like that sort of implies um, through just human senses how much more exacerbated the war looks to be on the media thumbnail, but it's actually AI generated. And so these are examples as to that can provide a lot more harm than helping to bring awareness to what's happening as opposed to any good. And I think as you just read out, Ben, as part of the executive order, when we can have those solutions in place, like as to very transparently communicate through those medium forms that, hey, this is generated by AI, that's a good solution and a good outcome for people. But still just the level of literacy, I think, for general population. And we're fortunate to live in the echo chamber and we're sort of inside the circle of tech, but not everyone is fortunate enough to be it. And it's accelerating at such a rapid pace that it's very easy to see something that is AI generated and have no idea that that's the case. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think you know, looking at some of the, the reports that are coming out from the Hamas atrocities is, uh, it's just, it's absolutely misleading. It's misrepresentation and uh, underlying it all, it's fraudulent. And the problem is there's no framework that is, uh, is developed for uh, outcomes. So if, if a journalist misrepresents or provides fraudulent imagery as a thumbnail as an example, there is no there's no after effect that they're free of will to use those documents, to use those images, to use some of the, the language modeling that comes out of AI generated text and without any fear of, uh, of re repercussion. Yeah. Well, is it fraudulent until defined? Because cheating, this, a good question, yeah. Yeah. Because potentially the executive order is really the first time to say you have to adhere to this standard. And so therefore, then that gives people the guardrails to make sure we've got a lot more cleanliness in the information. Just really, it's just, just an interesting sort of, uh, I suppose the antagonist you a little bit there, Ben, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, you, you bang on though with the commentary and yeah, it's going to be, I think a better outcome for all of humanity if we go that big picture thinking when things like this yeah. occur. So how would you wrap up your final thoughts sort of seeing now? the executive order so they hit the headlines around AI, governance, safety, music. I'm keen to just read one more to you as before we sort of wrap this one, because I think this, this adds weight to a globalist uh, topic in that one of the key uh, writings in this executive order is to advance American leadership abroad. Uh, and, and some of the, the terms used in there are really interesting. The Biden-Harris administration will continue working with other nations to support safe, secure, and trustworthy deployment and use of AI world, worldwide. Uh, but one of the key things there that, um, that Camilla Harris is, is going to be responsible for during her tenure as, as vice president is to expand bilateral, multilateral, and multi-stakeholder engagements to collaborate on AI. Um, we have interviewed uh, Dave Robertson from the Internet 2.0 uh, in a great episode where we talk about the, uh, the unification of uh, groups uh, targeting uh, ransomware. Um, are we going to see similar groups looking at uh, artificial intelligence and a safe uh, creation or safe design, deployment and uh, consumer use? I think that's a really key piece too, led by the US government. 
Yeah, I think so. I think we will. And certainly the dominance the US does have globally in a multipolar sort of political sphere, taking Mm. a globalist view. I think we'd certainly see a lot more alliances. I think the big thing to remember is AI is different to cybersecurity, where you made that example of sort of aligning to combat things like ransomware. Very unique thing that requires, you know, that global response. But certainly in the same sense, when you're thinking about AI governance, safety and security, it's just as important, Ben, for sure. I think the thing that sort of the Western world wants to combat is things like surveillance capitalism. And potentially there are more Eastern slanted countries and and powers. And again, we're in a multipolar type political position in terms of power and economic advancement. But uh, no way do you want this sort of technology to get into the hands of the wrong regime or potentially governance that is a little bit more authoritarian and potentially governance that is looking to deploy AI systems to uh, literally monitor every single step of someone on the boardwalk's moves and therefore capture that surveillance sort of atrocities that can emerge from this. So yes, I certainly think that now we're talking about human rights and human rights in the digital age, and now all of a sudden everything has a singular thread coming together all at once. And I would personally love to see more of um, the alliances. You know, I'd love to see what role Australia plays in that. We've spoken before about the Australian call call to action in terms of, you know, responses for AI governance as well. So certainly I think all of this is related. And again, like, you know, we work in cyber security, but the AI thing is a, is a very constant under, undertone to how you, I mean, it's in the executive order, right? AI, safety and security, lo and behold. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely agree with you. Yeah, I think it's a big piece. The other one, uh, and I'm really interested to see the, uh, the, the return serve here because uh, India assumed chair of the global partnerships on artificial intelligence uh, must have been, I actually think that was a year ago today, uh, as we were recording, it was sometime in November in 2022. Um, India have assumed uh, that responsibility um, after being announced as the leader in uh, AI skill sets, um, also in line with them taking over the responsibility of the presidency for G20. Um, so really interesting to see how India as the global entity looking to lead the the AI capability current versus future state, uh, how that adoption of the executive order is is interpreted also. Um, India yeah. are going to play a nice. big role in, in what uh, what the global AI looks like today and in tomorrow's future for sure. Yeah, not to bring this all back to politics, Ben, or uh, you know, future president of the world, but I think that's why. <laughs> you know, we sit in Australia; we're, we're very much reading an executive order from the US. But remember, yeah. we've also got the Quad Alliance, and the Quad Alliance in our world is India and Japan, alongside Australia and the US. And there's lots of other alliances, such as AUKUS, Five Eyes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, regionally across Asia Pacific and Japan, I think we're in a very interesting times of the zeitgeist so to speak which is just another hilarious reference from prior episodes but you know this is a very special region because of those facets like india taking the chair on some of these big advancements globally yeah i couldn't agree more it's um it's the benefit of us being uh in our regional position sitting in the peanut gallery uh, able to to read these and have comments you get peanuts oh yeah you didn't get the bag <laughs> hopefully salted oh. We will include in the show notes, um, I'm adding some work here for our EP right now and she's going to add me after the fact. So we will add in the show notes, the, uh, the executive order itself. Uh, it is a large document. There is an executive summary of the executive order. Um, it doesn't do the, the larger document justice. 
Um, it's it's very tagliney. Uh, so I call people to to do your own due diligence on the executive order itself. Um, but we'll also I'll also submit uh, the the uh, India's chairmanship of the global partnership on AI because I feel like that's a a very understated uh, leadership role that um, has gone largely undetected in especially this region. Uh, it's an important leadership role for the future. What do you mean, Ben? We are the executive summary. That is absolutely correct. <laughs> Don't even bother listening to the dark mode podcast. <laughs> Only half the time if it's in two times speed as well. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I wonder if many people do listen to us in two times speed with the rate we talk at. You sound very different in two times speed. Do I? Yeah. Audible. Chip- that's for sure. <laughs> All right, Gabe, the next hot topic that we've got. Uh, uh, I think this one is a very hot topic, uh, and I'm glad we've sort of kept this to last because it is, there's lots to it. It's such a, uh, it's such a polarizing uh, topic of conversation at the moment, and that is the SEC filing on SolarWinds uh, CISO or former CISO, Tim Brown, uh, on fraudulent disclosures. Uh, Gabe, what are your first thoughts on the SEC's official filing of the complaint against Tim Brown? Yeah, well, I was saying before the episode recording, Ben, my observations is just how many, how much more severe some of these repercussions are becoming for CISOs. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, the link to a cyber attack and a compromise being very closely linked to the financial performance of an organization. For example, the SEC filings were released again only in the last week. And uh, one of the consequences was a significant drop in the SolarWinds stock price. And, um, Interestingly, I just finished my MBA on the same topic. We sort of needed to run a company through two severe and plausible shocks. Guess what we chose? A cyber attack and a big geopolitical event. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, we can model out financially how a significant compromise can actually affect things like the bottom line or things like the stock price. And um, I thought it was really interesting to see how much of a consequence that did occur because of the Sunburst attack and then these SEC firings. And then also, of course, on the other side of the argument is um, how supported or otherwise scientists are and how much liability they carry. And now all of, a, all of a sudden there's these legal ramifications and, of course, an SEC filing, which is meaning that that stakeholder is subject to um, fraudulent investigations and lawsuits and all sorts of stuff. So it just makes me think about how now in the future this is going to be better managed by companies. Yeah. You just said something that took me back to my childhood. How now, brown cow? Um, I digress to that. Um, it, it might be worth just spending maybe one or two minutes giving the audience a bit of a background. I know that people have heard the term sunburst. I know people have heard solar winds in the news a lot. But uh, from my perspective, um, just to give you a bit of an insight to, to sort of the, the, uh, the year that was uh, under solar winds. Um, so Tim Brown, former CISO uh, and SolarWinds itself, plus one other member of the SolarWinds leadership was served uh, with a Wells notice by the SEC, which is essentially a bit of a precursor to the uh, formal or official complaint that has been lodged uh, in the most recent days as recording today. Um, the 60 page, I think it's 68 page actually report is really lengthy, but has a few key areas that have caused a bit of confusion amongst the cybersec community. Um, but it also certainly looks like there is a, a strong case against some misleading and fraudulent statements made by Tim Brown uh, throughout that document and filings. Again, I'm not a lawyer. I've watched Suits, the TV show, about three times over, so I have a little understanding of, uh, of what that is. 
But from Sunburst, the actual attack itself was was labeled Sunburst as a, a global phrase or term. Um, it essentially, was a hyperscaled supply chain attack. Um, it was largely attributed to a Russian intelligence group, uh, Nobelium. Um, they compromised one of Orion's build servers. Now, Orion is uh, SolarWinds infrastructure monitoring and, and management platform. Uh, it's designed to uh, simplify IT administration for all aspects of the IT network, essentially keys to visualizing the entirety of an IT network itself. Um, once they compromised that build server, they inserted a backdoor uh, to one of the update modules. Uh, so anytime uh, an update was pushed to that software across the entire Orion software stack, uh, that update then was digitally signed and delivered to around 18,000 customers, uh, including a number of the Fortune 500 companies, uh, and was available for download, signed certificate uh, on their website publicly. Um, it wasn't until FireEye, uh, which is a, a cybersecurity company, uh, alerted SolarWinds about the, the backdoor and, and then coined the term Sunburst. Uh, and a few days after the report of, of the backdoor was removed, not without uh, creating absolute carnage uh, through 18,000 plus uh, significant sites organizations. So that was the start of, of where we're at to today, which is that, that official SEC filing or complaint against uh, SolarWinds and Tim Brown. And why is that important is that, uh, or, or what has turned that is that um, in, in the document itself, I'm going to get it up so I don't uh, misrepresent some of the terms here. Um, Publicly, SolarWinds were uh, telling uh, customers about their uh, cybersecurity posture, uh, and then it's come out uh, in the SEC filing that, uh, that Tim Brown has wrote an internal presentation to SolarWinds that the current state of security leaves us in a very, very vulnerable state for our critical assets. Um, so there's, there's some pretty, uh, pretty hard evidence to suggest that there are some fraudulent, misleading statements that have got us to this point of the SEC filing. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. I will sit down. Ben, I love your TED Talks. Keep going. Take the mind. Yes. Run with it. That's <laughs> great run. background. Like, I appreciate you. Yeah. yeah. Mike, running. Let's go. <laughs> that's, that, that's the background. That's Sunburst itself, the attack, and then uh, and, and where we're at today with, um, with Tim Brown. You work with a lot of CISOs. Gabe, you have uh, some close touch points like myself with some of the industry leadership. What what have you heard from from the industry in terms of uh, stress levels or as, as a result of this uh, this filing? Yeah, I think that depends who you talk to, or mm. who you ask. Lots of different views. Again, I said before, maybe we take a protagonist view and an antagonist view. Yeah. You know, SEC filing like this, they're justified certainly to maintain transparency and accountability. Just even like we spoke about with AI, and certainly for stakeholders to be really well informed about cybersecurity measures and risks and maintaining trust, and especially for a provider such as SolarWinds. Um, though, of course, the antagonist view is potentially could be seen as over cumbersome, maybe um, deterring other companies from being transparent about cybersecurity risks or incidents in the future, and maybe a fear of regulatory repercussions. So there's kind of two, two sides to the coin, always not just to be binary about it. But um, interestingly, I did see some commentary about, oh, well, this is why security should be everyone's responsibility. And then again, that antagonist reply was, well, just like sales is the sales team's responsibility, but then it's like, well, is sales everyone's responsibility? 
you know, the blo- the lines get blurred pretty quickly thereafter. Yeah. Um, but I thought it's interesting that we chose two really big topics for this episode that both got released on the same day, 30th of October, and are both so closely interrelated because even just on that last comment I made, like both of these topics bring to light just the ever-evolving landscape of cybersecurity and AI technologies. And again, the critical role that regulatory bodies play in ensuring the transparency, security, and the responsible innovation in both of these domains. So I think, again, as I said at the start, it's interesting to see now governance coming down really hard and fast on these stakeholders. I think it's going to send shockwaves through CISOs like this. Not that they don't already know it, but what I'm more keen to see is the rest of the C-suite support the role of the CISO and take Mm. on this responsibility as seriously as the CISO traditionally has. And again, linking it back to a a comment previously, potentially the way to do that, the way that the rest of the C-suite is going to seriously start caring about this and more importantly, actioning it, ensuring there is good governance involved outside of the external governance and administrative view is the fact that these things can happen and there's a significant repercussion on the financial performance of the company, as we said, with the stock price plummeting after the announcement of the SEC filing. So yeah, I I certainly empathize with the role of the CISO. We know that that's a very unforgiving job. You have to have really good teams around you as a CISO. And as a security leader, more and more so, it's usually, as we've spoken about before, Ben, translating the technical jargon into the implications in the business context. And this is just really bringing that to light, in my opinion. What are, you, what are your thoughts on, on the, those sort of narratives with, with the leadership? I, I completely agree. I think you touched on some really key points there. And again, this is just peanut gallery, Ben Sullivan's thoughts here in that um, it would be a really missed opportunity for the, the remaining C-suite to not put their arms around the CISO and understand some of the legal obligations that they have that might uh, be less defined than, than the role of the C-suite executives. Um, you know, like the, the CEOs, the CIOs, uh, the CROs of the world all have fairly well-defined and a historical reference for what good looks like and what bad looks like. Uh, the role of the CISO is, is still in terms of, uh, of map, uh, benchmarking against those other roles historically is fairly new. Uh, so therefore there's going to be some, some more of these types of, uh, of these types of, uh, I don't want to say that this is, uh, is being put on a pedestal as what bad looks like, but, um, certainly with the two recent ones, Tim Brown and Uber's CISO, Joseph Sullivan, more recently going to jail for fraudulent activity. Um, it is, it certainly puts, uh, the CISO role under spotlight. So, um, to your points, uh, I completely agree. Uh, it's, it'd be absolutely a missed opportunity for that. Uh, C-suite to, to get involved with the, the C-suite themselves and understand the, the level of, uh, of risk by accepting the role, uh, that they put towards the, themselves financially, personally, uh, and from a, uh, professional stance. Yeah, for sure. Have you had any, um, comments just in the last week on, on the filing? Yeah, there's been really mixed comments, actually. Um, I've had a few comments that's that are well, the underlying tone is that uh, the CISO has asked for um, a seat at the table uh, and now that it's getting real um, people are starting to, to back away uh, and wanting less responsibility but then the other side of the coin there is that, that people are saying it's it's made uh, a more uh, prominent role for the CISO by showcasing that there is liability 
uh, and they do deserve to be heard and deserve to be have a voice at the broader table. What a time to be alive. It's such an interesting time, honestly. The uh, Yeah, it's... It's, it's really going to redefine what the role of the CISO is, and it's really going to redefine the responsibilities and legal obligations of the role of the CISO. So whilst it's unfortunate that it's happening to an individual in our community, it's, um, it's, it's going to benefit the broader CISO community and, and those uh, within us that, that are aspiring to become CISOs at a later stage in life. Um, so it is an absolutely interesting time, that is for sure. Any, uh, any last comments, Ben, on sort of two big topics here, AI? And also cyber. <laughs> Where do you? What do you see? Uh, if you crystal ball out the the next year, any any interesting things you're looking out to watch for as those two things unravel? Yeah, I'll tell you one thing that I'm really looking forward to and crystal balling is what role owns the role of AI? Uh, is it the CISO? Is it the CIO? Is it the CTO? Is it someone else? Um, that's going to be really interesting to me to to see what role puts their hand up as the owner of AI capability within, or is it a new role that gets created? That's something that I'm looking forward to. And with the executive order now, um, with uh, India putting their hand up as the global lead for AI partnerships, that is going to have to occur over the next 12 months with the impacts that organizations are already seeing of AI embedded within their organization, whether that's through shadow IT or not, uh, someone's going to need to own that responsibility. So crystal balling, I feel like there will be that role defined, whether it's a current role or a new role. And I'm excited to see that uh, populate. What are your thoughts on that? The KO? Yeah. No, I think the AI responsibility is with the CIO. And certainly there are a lot more leadership, more roles in leadership related to AI governance now, particularly in very large organizations. So I think that will be a constant in my opinion. And also, um, though we know technology is like ubiquitous, it's the way everyone needs to do every role and every function for an organization. But I think it's just becoming a lot more prominent now. And especially because, you know, in the Silicon Valley speak, there's always 10x engineers. Mm. You can have a person or, or a stakeholder that is able to achieve that sort of capability and output now by being able to effectively integrate into AI. Though, like I've been saying over the last couple of weeks, I can get, I barely can get people to pay attention to their emails or appropriately manage their diaries and respond and manage their notifications, yet alone effectively integrate with AI. So I'm very keen to see how that unravels. I'm sounding like Scott Galloway I at like the moment. It. I very like salty. <laughs> Shout out to Scott Galloway. Yeah. Um, and the other one I'm interested to see too uh, over the course of the next year is, uh, is the, the spotlight that's going to be shown on this role. Uh, I unfortunately don't think this is going to be the last case from an SEC perspective, but it'd be interesting to see some of the spotlight shown by APRA uh, here more regionally uh, on some of the events that have occurred over the uh, over the past few months, uh, past few years. Whether that has a, uh, a a an effect on on what spotlight is shown on some of those attacks and and the handling or mishandling of those uh, those events. Yeah, actually. That, that you mentioned, Apro Ben, I was reading the 2023 Digital Quality of Life Index just earlier. As you morning. do on a Sunday night. Yes, great reading. As you do on a light nighttime reading, Pillow Talk in our household. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll link this as well, but just some high-level stats as it relates to Australia. And you're talking about regulatory bodies, regulatory bodies in this mm-hmm. part of the world 
But this index surveyed 121 countries around the world, and so therefore 92% of the world population. Mm-hmm. And in Australia, you won't believe this, but um, out of the 121 countries, Australia scores eighth in internet affordability, but 72nd in internet quality. Also, also, I know, right? Also, Australia scores out of the 121 countries, 39th in cybersecurity, shocking. And from a data protection laws perspective, we score two out of five on a scale of low to high. That's crazy, isn't it? Doesn't it just go to show? It's, you know what? I wish I was more shocked by those results. Honestly, I, I really wish I do from the bottom of my heart, but I'm not. You're uh, not even shook. I'm not even shook. But uh, I think what Claire O'Neill's doing is going to change some of those things. Jeez, uh, I'll tell you what. Big time. Our noises and, um, Cheers. And we, we maybe, we need a minister, maybe we need a minister for AI up in the ranks. Yeah, Minister Gay Marzano. That'd be fantastic. Send me on. Yeah. I might just call my girl Claire and suggest it. Yeah. Miss O'Neill, come at us. Um, very, yeah. very well pointed out though, Ben. I uh, don't surprise me with the internet figures. I recently just changed over internet service provider and uh, and got a 5X return on my average internet speed uh, for a cheaper price than I was paying. But uh, talking to some of my US colleagues at Dragos, they laugh at how much our internet costs and the speeds that we get. Uh, it is almost like uh, 2001 for them, uh, the speed, yeah. and uh, and 47 with inflation prices. Yeah, at least. Yeah. No, the way inflation. It could be next week. Who knows? Who knows? Buy at the top of the market. Hey, Ben. That's that is why that is absolutely me to a T. Buy high, sell low, people. <laughs> oh, too good. Well, that was you a great know, episode, Ben. Financial advice, reach out. <laughs> we'll, stick to, <laughs> we'll stick to our strengths. <laughs> We've all got the stories. I can go into crypto, but I won't. Maybe we'll save that for another episode. Oh, yes. Let's do that for you. <laughs> yeah. Great episode, Gabe. I appreciate you as always. And I appreciate everybody that has listened for the last 30 something minutes. Thank you for joining. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next episode of Dark Mode.